We are creatures of desire. What we most desire is meaning. What makes us suffer most is a lack of meaning. The Meaningful Life with Andrew G. Marshall. Marital therapist, author, and communications trainer Andrew G. Marshall invites guests from all walks of life to discuss what makes life meaningful. Hello, I'm Andrew G. Marshall. Welcome to The Meaningful Life. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Podbean, Amazon Music, and wherever you find your podcasts. What is the feeling we will do almost anything to avoid? Of course, we don't like anxiety and fear. We don't want to think of ourselves as angry. But there is a feeling from which we want to get even further away. What is it? Shame. So I have a radical idea for you. Not only does my witness on The Meaningful Life today suggest that you should embrace shame, but you can turn it into a powerful ally. She's Sheila Rubin, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and along with her husband, Brett Lyon, a co-founder and co-director of the Centre for Healing Shame, a clinic in Berkeley, California, and the author of the book, Embracing Shame, How to Stop Resisting Shame and Turn It Into a Powerful Ally. Now, Sheila, you've been researching shame since you were five years old. What about your childhood started you off on this journey? Um, when I was five, I noticed that there was something happening in my family that I was very curious about and I couldn't ask about it. So I thought, well, I'll just like write down my question. It was actually an invisible ink in, you know, an invisible notebook in here. But my observations, I thought, I don't think there's another family like mine. And someday I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to write a book about my unusual family. Wow. And what did you discover about your unusual family in your research? Well, what I discovered at five was they told me that I was shy and that I would be a late bloomer. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'll be shy and I will write down all the things I notice, how other people talk to each other and how other people, you know, put them down or criticize each other, all these things that I noticed in the family dynamics. And what I realized was that I was noticing something very subtle. And I was noticing a way that I had to kind of talk to myself inside. My mother would yell at my father. My father would yell at my mother. And I had this little divided heart inside me because I couldn't tell her that I really love my dad. And I couldn't tell my dad, you know, he kept saying my mom was crazy. And it turned out she had a mental illness that was undiagnosed. But I figured if I would figure out how to be a shy person and I would figure out how to protect my sister, how to protect my parents, if I would figure out how to get right in between before the argument starts or right in those powerful moments, then I would help them do something different. Funny you became a therapist, really, isn't it? Yeah, I decided to become a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I became a therapist and I went all the way through therapy school and I kept my ears were 
peaked for, you know, when are they going to talk about shyness? When are they going to talk about, you know, shame? And they talked a little bit about all the different emotions, but we never really got to, you know, shame till later I had to figure on my own how to work with shame. And I taught, you know, my clients in the hospital who had the inner critic that was attacking them, their inner critic was attacking them like hugely. My inner critic was attacking me like this, and I could handle my inner critic by then. And I figured out the difference between them and me was they were using, you know, the eating disorder to cope with the shame and to cope with the inner critic. And I was figuring out how to manage my inner critic. And I would take a little bit of what I understood about shame and the inner critic, and I would try it with them. And I would say, do you have a secret conversation going on that says that you're a bad person? Because I have this secret conversation telling me that I'm a really bad therapist right now. So I'm just curious if that's happening for you too. And they were like, oh my God, nobody's ever asked me about the secret conversation. So that was how I started to explore with my clients. So when did you actually get a name for shame? Because we don't name it. So I'm just wondering at what age do you realize that this this emotion you were feeling was shame? Because when I was in therapy school, we didn't do shame either. No, no. And I, I went to drama therapy school and I do all the different emotions, including shame. And we did psychodrama for all the different emotions, including shame. It wasn't until I read Gershon Kaufman's book a couple years ago that he said, shame is the breaking of the interpersonal bridge. And I thought, that's what happened all the way through childhood. That bridge, I would be shy. I would look down. They would, you know, look down because they didn't know what to say to me. And that rupture of the interpersonal bridge that happened as a child, that was what shame was. So let's get that clear. We're defining shame as a rupture of the bridge between you and another person. Yes. Excellent. And I, I think the idea of it being a secret conversation is really important as well, because there's a, a lovely quote that actually starts your book that I'm going to read out, and I'd like you to comment on it and tell me more. Shame is a complex and typically hidden emotion. We all experience it, but oftentimes we're not aware of the secret way it operates. And I love that quote, but I would you know, years ago, I would walk into a room and I would be trying to figure out, you know, where do I sit? What are they going to think? You know, I was always kind of as a kid, kind of like trying to figure out all the different levels, you know, who's a teacher, who's a student, <laughs> who's smart, who's not smart. And I was like inside my mind because my mom had an undiagnosed mental illness. I left all of the uncomfortability of dealing with her and my family at home. And I was trying to figure out, well, how do I manage in the world? And I would have this like place inside. And it turns out, you know, I read Gershon Kaufman years later, we balance between shame and pride in every moment. And that was what I was trying to do as a little kid. I was trying to figure out, well, I don't want them to see, 
you know, what I'm dealing with at home. So I will just be smart. I will just be, you know, show up. And I had kind teachers and they would help me figure out all the science books. They would help me learn and all of that. And so I would bond with the teachers that would counter my shame, you know, until one teacher helped me with the science experiments because I was always getting there early. And I was like, wow, finally I could do something right. And I would get the early, I would put together the experiment for the class. And then I had this feeling of like, wow, finally I was useful. Finally, there was something right with me. And then one day he announced that I was going to be his lab assistant. And I went into this what I know, no, is a shame freeze, shame and fear bind. And I couldn't show up for the next class because I thought, what if I make a mistake? What if I don't do it right? What if I, you know, connect the little bigger to the big bigger? What if I connect the diodes to the other diodes? And what if I short something out? And I didn't show up for class. And then the next class, he said, what happened to you? And I said, I'm so afraid that I'm going to make a mistake. What if I do it wrong? And he said, we do it together. You're not going to get it wrong. I'm here. We can do it together. And that was where I learned how to counter shame that voice inside me with that science teacher's voice saying, you know, there's no mistakes here. We'll do it together. And I can feel the beauty of that moment all these years later here in the space. Thank you. So shame is a freeze. Can it be a flea as well? Well, yeah, there's four reactions to shame. One is to freeze. And that was what I was really good at as a kid. I would freeze and go inside. But there's attack self, attack other, deny, and withdraw. And those are the four reactions to shame. And to be able to understand those four reactions to shame, it's like we don't see shame we see all of those four reactions one after another. <laughs> For some people, it's a pinball machine, and it's like, oh, they attack themselves, then they attack their partner, then they withdraw, then they pull away. But what I notice as a shy child is that I would kind of pull away. I would write in my notebook, trying to figure out you know, my family and trying to figure out about a book that I was going to write someday. And so shame is a multi-headed hydra, and it does so many different things. And when we see somebody being shamed or disempowered, our natural reaction is to try and be helpful and dismiss their shame. But this can bring more shaming. Can you explain to me how that works so we all understand? I love your questions. Years and years and years ago, when I was in my 20s, I went to a therapist and I like was in a shame freeze and trying to come out of my shame freeze. I didn't know it was shame. I didn't know anything in those days. And I just like after an hour, I kind of looked up and I whispered, there's something wrong with me. And she leaned over to me and she said, there's nothing wrong with you. And it was like, boom, that was the last time I tried to ask for therapy until I actually became a therapist myself because I couldn't understand the observations that I was making from being such a shy person. I couldn't understand. And the only conceivable thing was there must be something wrong with me. And if I got brave and told a therapist and she didn't lean in and say, oh, tell me more. Or 
I actually work with that. But when she said there's nothing wrong with you, that was denying my reality. It took me years to figure out that that's one of the reactions to shame. And one of the most beautiful sentences in the English language is, tell me more. (laughs) That just touches my heart when you say that. And so if your partner is feeling ashamed, I can't do this, the answer is not, no, you can't, but tell me more about that. Well, it depends. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Brett and I have an interesting reaction, and that actually led to us, you know, writing the book. I would have loved in our couples long ago if I had said I'm feeling shy, and he had said, tell me more, but he kind of took it personally and thought that he was doing something wrong. So you have to understand that each person has probably the invisible conversation that's going on inside that they may or may not be aware of. The partner is also having their invisible conversation about what they might or might not be doing right. And if somebody says, I'm feeling shy or I'm feeling embarrassed or I'm feeling shame, what I would love to hear was somebody to lean in and say, tell me more I'm here, you know. But often the partner will react with, you know, there's nothing wrong with you or I didn't do anything wrong or something like that. Because inside there, shame is saying, I'm not a good enough partner because I can't actually make my beloved wife feel relaxed and comfortable. There must be something wrong with me. I must be the most terrible husband that walked this planet. You got it. And this is the extraordinary idea that you have. If you embrace shame, it loses its power. So tell us about that. You know, I had to befriend shame years ago. And there's healthy shame. And there's toxic shame and there's healthy shame. And for me, it's like I learn a little bit with each interview. I learn a little bit with each, you know, experience. And for instance, you know, in our interaction, I wasn't able to download Chrome. So fortunately, Brett let me use his computer. But I could go into toxic shame. And I could say, Oh, I blew it. I don't have Chrome. There's something wrong with me. But there's this idea of healthy shame. And healthy shame is, I didn't blow it. I figured out how to get on Chrome on Brooke's computer. And I will take my computer down to the shop and have it upgraded so the next time somebody asks for Chrome, I will have it. That is healthy shame. And most people have a little bit of shame turns into like nitroglycerin. It can really, you know, attack them and attack others. So healthy shame, how to embrace shame, is to be able to be curious about what happens and figure out how to counter shame, how to speak with the kindness, and to be able to say, is there something that I could learn from this experience? Or is there something I could learn that could have a little bit of healthy shame? Is there something I could do a little bit different the next time this happens? And believe it or not, I still write it in a little book and I teach it <laughs> I teach it to my students at the Center for Healing Shame and it's in the book. You know, all these different ways that I wrote to myself 
to deal with that I didn't even know it was shame. There's all these ways to counter the shame, to turn it into healthy shame, so that instead of it constricting the person, it can help them have their life back. It can help them have their creativity back. Brilliant. So you've got three particular techniques that I'd like to look at, which are pendulating, resourcing, and countershaming. So let's take them one by one. What is pendulating? Pendulating, that is something that Brett brought into the work from his work with Peter Levine, the idea of pendulating. And I'm also a drama therapist where we like dip in and dip out and dip in and dip out. So pendulating is if somebody has shame and you go straight for it and just drill all the way down, it's like, I want to get there, I want to get there, I want to get there. That's not helpful because the person's going to go more into shame or do their reactions to shame. Pendulating is you dip in and you dip out and you dip in and you dip out and you can do it with kindness with the self and I can dip in and dip out, pendulate again, pendulating out, a little bit in, a little bit out. Because shame is so powerful, we need to be mostly next to it and holding the hand of the person rather than helping them go in. Does that make sense? Halfly. And I'll explain what I've got and then I'd like a bit more help with it. So it's like a pendulum. You swing in and you swing out. So if you're doing this with yourself, you're feeling shame like you don't know how to download Chrome, to use our example. How do you swing in and then swing out to yourself? Take me through that sort of conversation inside yourself. I love that you're doing the pendulum because that's exactly what we're talking about. It's like a pendulum. And most people get stuck in the shame and they're just going to be in there and they're going to attack themselves until it winds down. So it's like if we go out to one side, I could say, wow, I didn't know how to do Chrome. And then I could go into, wow, there must be something wrong with me. And it's just, I could go from shame to shame to shame, or I could go into the place that says, is there something I could do different? Yeah. And then go out and then go, well, can I do it? And then go out. And so gently the pendulum, instead of weaving into the toxic shame, I have a pendulum that's like, okay, it's here. And the pendulum can get slower and slower and slower. And we can just say, wow, I have shame. There's nothing wrong with me about this particular thing. I can fix my computer. It's not about me. about my computer and I can fix it. And so the pendulating out can allow me to have kind of the movement. Shame is kind of a freeze. And so this pendulating in and out is coming out of the freeze and having kind of an opening experience to be able to open to the bigger picture and open to, you know, I'm not alone in the world. So... Does that make sense? It makes beautiful sense. And for everybody, all the way through that conversation, you were also with your hands going backwards and forwards. And it really does actually get you out of the freeze, the moving backwards and the forwards. And that's where we need to get out of the freeze. And I think just actually doing the movement with your hands, I'm using both hands, sort of gets you out of the stuckness. So I love that. Thank you. 
the next one we've got is resourcing. Tell me about resourcing. Well, this is a wonderful word. And for me, I'm a drama therapist. And so I think of like resourcing for me would be like, you know, if somebody was going out to a play and, you know, they would have their like cue card or they would have their script there. And so the resourcing might be to read the script before the play or the resourcing might be to remember who of their family was kind to them or who of their family was helpful or who in their lifetime, it could be somebody from a movie, it could be somebody they'd never met, but somebody who could be a resource for them. So before they enter this shame moment, they could have a little script about what they might want to say differently, or they could have the memory of somebody who is positive and help them in their life. Does that make sense? It makes beautiful sense. I had a friend who used to ask, what would Helen Mirren do? Yeah, exactly. I mean, her character that she always plays is always resourceful, determined, and you know doesn't take nonsense. So <laughs> it's a good question. What would Helen Mirren do or, or whoever else you admire? So the third one is counter-shaming. Now, what does counter-shaming mean? Counter-shaming is to try and figure out the opposite of shame. And so a way that I learned to counter-shame myself, you know, as a kid is I would say, well, I made it through last week. Nothing <laughs> terrible happened. Maybe, maybe something good will happen this week. Or I would find all these ways to remind myself, you know, that I did something well in the last week of the last class or something like that. But counter shaming is to figure out how to counter the shame. And it's like counter shaming, and I have a movement for that too. It's like there's shame and it hurts a person. It can go right in deeply. So the counter shaming is kind of like this movement. And it's kind of like the cloud hands I learned years ago in Tai Chi. So it's like you've got a very big knob in front of you and you're turning it you around. It. Yeah. It. And we're turning the knob from the shame and the attack self to the counter shame. And then maybe there's something right with the person. So maybe there's something wrong with them that they've been telling themselves their life. But I turn it and I say, maybe there's something right with them. And I sell them something that I notice about them, like the color of their sweatshirt or their scarf or something that I notice about them. And countershaming can happen one time or it can happen continually because there's so much shame and it's so helpful to be able to counter shame one other way it's like somebody will go you know one of the ways I did in school it's like my mother had a mental illness it was undiagnosed I couldn't even explain you know I would get in trouble for being exactly 10 minutes late to class and I would say it was so long ago but I would say to the teacher my mother makes me late for class. And she would say, your mother doesn't make you late for class. And so that would like land, like, ow, you know, I love my teachers. I love my school. I wanted to be the smart kid I was, but I couldn't 
keep that going into me as like shame. So I would turn it and I would say, maybe there's something she doesn't understand about my mother. Maybe I can counter what she thinks that, you know, why would somebody be making a kid late for school? You know, but I learned to counter the shame. And I teach my clients finding ways I start with them. How can we counter their shame? And it all starts with that teacher. You know, I loved all my teachers, but I didn't know how to explain to them. And I kept that notebook of all the things I noticed in my unusual family, but nobody ever asked me. (laughs) So I had to counter shame myself. Does that make sense? Yeah, they didn't say, how is your mother making you late? Yeah. And if I would say she wanted me to pick the dandelions so that they wouldn't go over the neighborhood in the neighbor's yard, and she wanted me to put them in the bag in this very specific way that had to be turned in this very specific way and had to be put in the garbage on a certain day, if I had explained the level of specificity of that she was demanding that I do before she would let me catch the bus, and then, of course... I would miss the bus. And so it's like nobody could imagine. So I had to do this counter-shaming inside myself, and I had to notice how can I hold the teacher in high esteem and how can I counter the shame of myself and know that she can't possibly understand. And part of the way I counter-shame is I'm like, someday I'm going to write a book about this. (laughs) And a very good book it is too. Thank you. So another idea I like from this book, which I think is is really helpful, and I wish I'd read this before I went off on a retreat. I'll tell you about the retreat in a moment. But that normally shame is about as a 90 stroke 10% split. So explain the 90-10, then we'll look at how it can help. When there is shame... Or when there is kind of somebody having their reactions to shame, 90% of that is not from what's happening in the person. 90% happen in their childhood. So 10% is happening now. 10% happens. And the 10%, we can talk about what that 10% is. And then we can figure out if we can counter shame and figure out where did this come from in childhood? Where did the person get shame in childhood? Where did this actually come from? And we can begin to discover that most of it is not happening in the present. Most of it happened a long time. So I was on this retreat and I was having a very, very strong reaction to the female guru, I'll use the term loosely, who was leading this retreat, who basically was triggering my old mother knows best sort of kind of material. And, you know, it was her way or no way, so to speak. And, you know, I had a really strong reaction to this. And it took me a while to work out that I mean, you'd think I would be a bit quicker off the mark than this, but no. (laughs) It's old mother material that I was projecting onto her. You know, I did eventually manage to do a bit of the counter-shaming. I did actually remind myself that I'm 64 years old and, you know, I have been round the block a few times. I do know what is right for me because now at 64 I can negotiate with mother figures, you know, in a way that when you're six years old – 
you don't have the skills to negotiate. You basically have to get with the program. But it would really help me to get to the counter shaming quicker if I really thought, actually, this is 90% about the past and possibly actually in this case about 1% about the present. That's brilliant for you to figure that out just there. It's like, boom, you got it. You know, part of what happens is shame happens when our inner child is triggered. And it could be the two-year-old, the five-year-old, the 10-year-old, the 18-year-old. Any of our inner children can get triggered. And when they get triggered at current time, sometimes a person might find themselves going back to that age and actually, you know, remembering those childhood wounds or not remembering them, but to be aware of maybe it happened in childhood and maybe part of the embracing shame is to be able to counter the shame and to be able to say, wow, what if I don't have to carry all of that shame into the present? Maybe I can kind of leave some of the shame in the past, take with, you know, the beautiful person we are now and move into the future. Because when I read your book, I was thinking, yep, yeah, it was. I didn't actually identify this as shame. I was just thinking I was projecting the old material. But you say some of the reactions to shame are thoughts, sensations, and reactions. And the three reactions you did, <laughs> uh, three of the reactions you did were right on the nail for me numbing, withdrawing, and disassociating. And I thought, hmm, yep. Yeah, there was another layer lower down there. There was shame there. So thank you for that. You're touching my heart that you've read our book. You know, you're touching my heart that you're actually you're making sense of it in your life. And I'm, I'm so honored to do this podcast with you. Most people have no clue that it's shame. Most people have, you know, no idea that if they feel a little embarrassed or they feel put down or they feel misunderstood, that those can actually be ways of shame is letting them know or disrespected or somebody might feel ignored or, you know, all these, these different things that can poke at, you know, that maybe they're not good enough or poke at this idea that we have inside of maybe we're, you know, we're balancing between shame and pride in any moment, that is physiologically wired. And so to be able to figure out how can I show up with kindness, how can I show up with different ways of being with myself in a, in a different way of kind of shaming, and to be able to, you know, when I say, we call it the S word, <laughs> when I say the word shame, people go into shame. Mm. Our nervous system goes right into shame. So I've learned to be able to say, you know, I teach about shame and I teach how to counter shame. I teach how to embrace shame and I teach that by being curious, that is the opposite of shame. So sometimes by going into curiosity, people can actually get their curiosity back. And so is this how shame can be an ally? Yeah, absolutely. Shame can be an ally. Shame can actually be a friend. I have shame as an ally because, you know, there's attack self, attack other, 
deny and withdraw. If we withdraw a little bit from the shame and we pull away and instead of attacking ourselves, going into the inner critic and, you know, I'm bad, I'm whatever, 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 that's the inner critic. But instead, if we pull away just a little bit to reassess and we pause, and the whole key is the pause. If we pause, go into reassessment and say, wow, something just happened. I don't know what just happened, but something just happened. And instead of doing what I always do with the shame, I'm going to pause and I'm going to go to this other possibility. If I could get curious about the shame, if I could have self-compassion about the shame, if I could have precision of exactly what happened, is am I responsible for it? Am I not responsible for it? If I could be kind to myself and if I can see the big picture, and then it pops us out of the reactions to shame and puts us in the healthy shame box where we can embrace shame. And shame I use as... I have embraced my shame, and I used to put myself down. It was a long time ago, but I would figure out, I would talk to my clients, and I would say they were my students, and they were putting themselves down before they were meeting with their clients, and they're like, they're going to ask me something I don't know, and I would say to them, yeah, that's what I used to say. (laughs) And what I told myself to say is, what is it that I can do different with this client? What is it I can do with this client that I can meet them? I might not know what they need, but I can be kind. I can be receptive. And so I would teach them in the ways that I taught myself of being kind and being receptive. And then I have this like way of just kind of like the way to embrace shame for me is like to have Part of the healthy shame is about boundaries. Part of the healthy shame is to be able to, when shame talks to us, you know, it's like sometimes we have no, we didn't do, we had no responsibility over the parents that grew us up. They did the best they can. Some parents were actually horrible and abused their children. But if we can not take that with us, but if we can counter shame, that and take the healthy part of that in the moving forward. And I can say, you know, if I could go back and say to my teachers, you know, my mom actually had an undiagnosed mental illness, and when you keep telling me why am I late, that my mother didn't make me late, that made me feel bad about myself. And I had to, like, do this thing inside myself to counter shame myself and figure out, well, what's right about me? Something must be right about me. And so I learned to figure out how to have this inside myself that nobody knew. And so I teach about this with clients, with students. We have the Center for Healing Shame because it's very hard to counter somebody's shame and it's very hard to embrace shame because it's so invisible and it's so all-pervasive and it can really be scary for people. And we... We pretend that I don't feel shame and you don't feel shame. And that's a game that helps nobody. 
So in a moment, we're going to look at a letter from uh, one of my listeners. And I think we're going to find a little bit of shame hiding somewhere there. We'll, we'll find out in just a moment. The Meaningful Life with Andrew G. Marshall. Please follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and visit our website, andrewgmarshall.com forward slash podcast, where you can join our supporters club and unlock bonus material and other benefits. One of the ways you can participate in the program is you can become a supporter of The Meaningful Life and you get more details if you go to www.andrewgmarshall.com forward slash podcasts. And at the same place, you'll find out how to sign up for my newsletter and how to participate in the program and send a letter like this one. I recently made a huge decision and decided to train in a different field for my career. Nothing scholarly, but something I've wanted to do for a while. So I bit the bullet and I'm doing it. Previous ventures, jobs or even hobbies have always failed or I've packed them in. University, I was the first person in my family to go to university, but blamed my health and quit after eight months. Photography, I trained for two years as a wedding photographer, but blamed the long hours. So I'm partway through my training now and have had a few wobbles. I nearly gave in not long ago because my trainer wasn't noticing my efforts and made me feel like I wasn't good enough. This time, though, I wanted to make myself proud. I didn't want to fail myself, as I have before, or anyone else who's depending on me. I wanted to prove to myself that I'm good enough for success or to break the cycle of my failures. My problem is that everything else in my life seems to be taking much more effort. Simple things like thinking of something to feed my family every evening, doing the dishwasher, or even sometimes self-care. I'm worried I'm sabotaging myself, but this time in a different, more serious way. Oh my God. I am so honoured to answer your client's question, because first I want to say your client wrote to you Because she trusts you, and that is key. She's reaching out to you, and she trusts you. Shame, sharing even a little bit of shame or sharing even a little bit of a problem with somebody and trusting is the beginning of the counter-shaming, so she's trusting you. The first thing she says in her letter is she left university because of health problems. And there's kind of like a question mark there if you know, that was really why she left, or if maybe I'm always reading the letters and I'm always wondering, it's like, is there an inner conversation inside that maybe she's judging herself for leaving university because of health problems? So that's the first part. It's like, maybe she has some judgment about leaving university. And then the next part about the photography and then she was with an award-winning photographer, but she didn't pursue it. I'm hearing that she tried something amazing and, you know, expanding with this award-winning photographer and for whatever reason didn't continue. And maybe there's some self-blame or some self-sabotage that she, you know, is telling herself about that. 
the fourth thing I want to go to is that she's not able to move and she's not able to freeze. She's not able to feed her family. And I think that's a shame freeze. So the third thing in there about she wants to study and she wants to do something different. And she's afraid that she might fail at that as well. So what tells me, you know, if this was a client, I would say, wow, there's this thing, there's this emotion called shame. It's an invisible emotion. It affects the nervous system. Sometimes it affects the nervous system. And when I was writing my graduate school paper years ago, I would go into, I didn't know it was a shame freeze, but I couldn't think and I couldn't write. And I, my inner critic would attack me. <laughs> but I knew that it's shame. So I would tell this person, this subscriber of yours, that this emotion of shame has the inner critic, and the inner critic is attacking her maybe for leaving university for health reasons, maybe for leaving the award-winning photographer, whatever happened there, maybe the inner critic is putting her down for that. Maybe her level of expectations that she thinks she has, she has to do something different or more to prove herself, you know, we have self-esteem in here and it's based on, you know, shame and pride. And so the more she can do like a little bit of pride every day, something a little bit of pride inside herself that she wish she could have imagined going back and said something to the award-winning photographer or to the university or something. Maybe she could have said something different. But leave that in the past. Take with, did she learn something from that? I think she did, because what she said is in her training, she had some wobbles. She almost gave up because she felt that her trainer wasn't noticing her efforts and made her feel that she wasn't good enough. But instead of actually spiraling down and then believing that she wasn't good enough or believing that her teacher thought she wasn't good enough, which actually might be her own inner critic telling her that rather than the teacher, she was able to combat that to turn it around and actually last the way through. So she has got some things that she can counter shame. You know, I wasn't a failure. I stuck with this. I'm doing this. So that is good. Now, I think it's very interesting because I wouldn't have thought of what she's doing at the moment when she's trying to feed her family or do the dishwasher that she's freezing. So when she freezes in front of the dishwasher or trying to decide in the supermarket what she's going to buy for tea, how does she take hold of that situation and stop the spiralling down? The first one I would do is um, to rub her hands before she goes out to the supermarket and just mm -hmm. rub her hands, put one hand on her heart and do the breathing in and the breathing out a couple times and breathe in hope breathe out shame breathe in hope 
And breathe out, I must be doing something wrong, whatever it is that she wants to breathe in. Hope, breathe out shame a couple times. And then before she leaves, she only needs to do that once or twice, but before she leaves her house to say, I'm good enough. And then when she gets to the supermarket to just, you know, she can do it in the car. Nobody's watching, you know, if she could put her hand there and she could say, I'm good enough for today. And then to be able to say, she is going to take this part of her as if it was a little child. She's going to take this part of her to the supermarket and just take this little part of her and say, of course you're freezing. Maybe you're embarrassed. Of course you're freezing. Maybe you feel shame. Maybe you feel put down and just normalize the feelings. And I love the idea of putting your hand on your chest when you're doing the breathing, because I think that when you're in the supermarket, you can just put your hand on your chest and say, it's okay. You know, if I'm giving them salmon for the 13th time this month, it's in the biggest scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. If you can't think of the most wonderful meal today and you fall back on an old favourite, that's okay. We don't have to go for perfectionism. And the other thing is just in the freezing that's happening when she's going to do the dishwasher. Again, if she's alone for a moment and she's able to put her hand on her heart and just breathe in and breathe out and just say, I'm good enough, just as I'm good enough. Breathing in, I'm good enough. (laughs) Breathing out the shame or the inner critic. Breathing in, I'm good enough. And breathing out, I can do a little bit at a time. And then just let herself notice that she could actually do a little bit at a time. One day at a time, one minute at a time, if she has to. And when you say to yourself, I'm self-sabotaging, no, let's reframe that, I'm dealing with shame. And that is a much kinder thing to do. And if you don't like the shame word, you know, I'm dealing with the S word again. (laughs) Yeah. And to tell your client, first of all, that she's very brave for writing you. And she's very brave for, you know, now she's on a podcast. I don't know her, but I'm, you know, I'm thanking her in my heart that she was brave and writing that letter. There are many Many, many, many people that do not know that it's shame, and there are many people that don't know that they can ask for help, and so that's I'm going to count on shame. And I'm grateful as well because this person also suggested that I do a program on fear of failure. And at some point in the future, we will have a program on fear of failure. I've now got to find an expert on fear of failure. But fear not, I will not fail with this task. I will find somebody eventually. (laughs) So thank you for being a witness on The Meaningful Life today. So I have to turn the tables on you and ask you, what makes your life meaningful? Well, what makes my life meaningful, you know, is this Embracing Shame book that Brett and I wrote. For me, I've been taking notes since I was five years old, and the book is finally here. (laughs) (laughs) But what makes my life meaningful is doing podcasts like this to talk about embracing shame and People can get it on our website, www.healingshame.com. We have another audio series that they can also get there. Because 
Shame is such an invisible emotion. What makes my life meaningful is to be able to talk about it, laugh about it, embrace it, and um, counter shame. And shine the light, because shame doesn't like the light, does it? Right, I love your words. Yes, I'm shining the light on shame, because shame doesn't like well, this is where the conversation has to end, unless you're a supporter of The Meaningful Life, because we're going to continue. We're going to look at one of Sheila's expertise, which is shame and eating disorders. So if you would like to hear the bonus material, you can subscribe directly via Apple or Spotify. We're also available on Amazon Music. And if you want to become a supporter of The Meaningful Life and unlock the bonus material this way, here are the details. You've been listening to The Meaningful Life with Andrew G. Marshall. You can follow Andrew on Twitter, like him on Facebook, and please leave a review wherever you consume your podcasts. Making, editing, and distributing The Meaningful Life comes with substantial costs, and we'd like to ask for your help. Visit our website, andrewgmarshall.com forward slash podcast, where you can join our supporters club and unlock bonus material for every program, send in a letter to be discussed by Andrew and his guests, and join a community of other people seeking to make their life meaningful. At the gold level, you get even more benefits. Production of The Meaningful Life with Andrew G. Marshall is by Michael Dooney. Social media by Madeleine Healy. Sound engineering and theme tune by Sebastian de la Luz Mendoza. And I'm Susie Collick. Please tell your friends and spread the word. Thank you.